We're in the book of Ephesians. We left off a chapter 5, verse 15. I think we have some of the handouts there. <clears throat> and then we have probably next week's message, which will be dealing with a godly marriage. Um, but today's message is going to be on walk in wisdom. So Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 15. And so as you're turning there, let's uh, bow our heads and go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Father, in Jesus' precious name, we love you, Lord. And uh, you, you tell us in your scriptures to walk in love, to walk in light, and to walk in wisdom. And so I pray, Lord, that we just not only trust in your son, Jesus, for the free gift of salvation since he died on the cross for our sins, but I pray that we would also trust in the power of the Holy Spirit and trust in the Lord Jesus to lead us and to guide us and to, to lead us out of the darkness of sin, but to also lead us to be wise people in a very unwise age. And so I pray, Lord, that we'd be pleasing in your sight through the power of the Holy Spirit and that we would do all things to bring you glory. I pray, Lord, as we study your word today, it would be your word. It would be your truth that would be proclaimed from this pulpit so that uh, you would cancel the man so that I would not lead anyone astray. And so anoint me with your spirit, fill me with your spirit to proclaim your truth. And I pray, Lord, that you give all of us the courage to test whatever they hear from this pulpit and whatever they hear or see throughout the week that we would test all things, have the courage to test all things with your word, for your word is truth. And then may your Holy Spirit empower us to apply these truths to our lives so that we could be pleasing in your sight. Be with us, Lord, as you are with us in our prayers and the, and the uh, praise and worship. Be with us also, Lord, in the preaching of the word. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Okay, so, you know, Paul explained how we get saved. Then he talked about how Jew and Gentile are one in Christ. There's no longer that dividing wall. Uh, he then started talking about how we should live as Christians. And we've seen that uh, to, we're called to imitate God. To imitate God, we must walk in the light. We must walk in the truth. We must walk in love. But now Paul also says we must walk in wisdom. And I think this is going to get a little bit more convicting for us. I think most of us, if not all of us, you know, when the Bible's talking about don't get involved in sexual immorality, I think most of us are saying, well, no, no, I'm faithful to my spouse and I'm not getting involved in sexual immorality and I'm not real, real, I don't covet a lot of things and, um, um, I'm not this uh, angry, mean, unforgiving person. So most of us maybe got away with it a little bit, a little bit comfortable here. But now he's going to start zeroing in on things that even uh, fairly mature Christians can be guilty of. Where all of a sudden it's like, you know, uh, you might tell me, look, Pastor Phil, I'm not, you know, you could fill up pages of sins and say, I'm not doing any of these. But are you walking in wisdom? Okay? And we're going to see what walking in wisdom means. Um, and, and by the way, you can have uh, some of the most, you can have a, uh, be a genius, have a high IQ, and, uh, but if you're not trusting in God's word and building your life on the wisdom of the scriptures, you're not a wise person. You're just another fool. And believe me, we have enough fools on this planet. We could use quite a bit more wise people, okay? But more times than not, I tell you, if you want to find out what a wise person is, just, just, just turn on the television set and watch the media. Everybody they set, tell us is wise, okay, those are the fools. And then everybody that they call the fools, those are probably the wise people, okay? Because we live in a day and age where, you know, Isaiah warned us about what are those who call evil good? And good evil, good evil. We're living in those days. So uh, to imitate God, we must walk in the light, but we must also walk in wisdom. Look at verse 15 of Ephesians 5. See then that you walk circumspectly, 
not as fools, but as wise. So walk carefully. Don't just uh, run through life. Um, I was at a, a wedding yesterday, and this little little guy, this little boy, he had so much energy, he was just running full speed all over the place. And I was just standing there watching him, you know, it was during the re- reception, and, you know, he almost collided with little kids. He almost ran into the podium and, and stuff like that. I guess that's okay. That's part of growing up as a as little boys. You know, you got to break a few bones. It's kind of rite of passage, but um, and then hopefully you don't break anybody else's bones. Um, but that's not supposed to be the way that we go through life as mature Christians, where you're just bouncing around. And I'm telling you, pastors are probably the the worst at this because you get such a heavy schedule. You know, so sometimes you have to plan three meetings in the same day. And then you got to say, okay, I'll take a couple hours out of sleep to just uh, prepare my sermon and work on that and things of that sort. And when you're just constantly going all over the place and you're not having devotional time with the Lord and not slowing things down and not walking carefully, um, you're going to be tripping over things. Okay? And so we need to walk carefully so that we don't fall into sin and temptation. Uh, A lot of times we can avoid sin. If there's like five steps that might lead to a sin, if we can catch it in step one or step two, we don't have to worry about step five. Okay? But what a lot of us do, we just go through the motions. And, um, And we don't walk carefully. So we're called to be wise We're called to not be fools. Now, what you have to do in order to do that in verse 16 is you got to redeem the time. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. So because the days are evil. The days were evil 2,000 years ago. Look around today. The days are evil today. I mean, things are really messed up. Okay? And, um, And so... Because the days are evil, we need to redeem the time, buy back the time, make the most of the time, make the most of every opportunity. I didn't even mention this passage in our Bible study. Um, For the men's Bible study, we're on the book of Hebrews, and we finished up chapter 5. And the, the author of Hebrews is saying, by this time, you ought to be mature believers who are ready for the meat of the word. But you're not. I can only give you milk because you're still babes in Christ. And, um, and one, of our, one of our brothers, who I think is a very mature believer, said that, you know, after all this time, as in his walk with the Lord, he thinks he should be teaching people. And so he wasted a lot of opportunities. And um, yet, this brother's probably got a you know, we'd give them a pretty good report card. But if we really want to serve the Lord, we got to say, hey, you know, uh, nothing wrong with kicking back and relaxing a little and rejuvenating yourself for the purpose of serving God. Um, but there's, there's times when we're so proud of ourselves because we're not doing the bad stuff, but we're also kind of lazy. And we're not redeeming the time. We're not making the most of the opportunity. And so sometimes we're sitting around when God's calling us to get out there and, uh, and serve him. And there, there's a time to be still in the presence of God. And to start your morning with devotional reading of God's word and meditating on God's word. Not the Hindu Eastern meditation, which has crept into se- segments of the church today. Uh, but biblical meditation, where you meditate on principles from God's word and, and, and have time of prayer with the Lord. So there is that time, but there's also, we've got to look at each day. Am I making the most of each opportunity? And that, that doesn't mean, you know, preach Jesus to everybody you see. Because, uh, you know, the night that Jesus was betrayed, doubting Thomas, asked Jesus, show us the way. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Um, 
Later on that night, the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, asked Jesus, what is truth? And Jesus didn't answer him. So what it tells you is one guy was ready for the answer, the other guy wasn't. How did Jesus know the dif difference? Because he was Jesus. He was filled with the Spirit. He was walking in wisdom. Okay? And so we need to get prayed up. We need to get so filled with the Spirit at the start of each day that it becomes natural to walk in the supernatural and to walk in wisdom so that we can redeem the time. Verse 17 in Ephesians 5, Therefore do not be unwise. You know, I had a Christian brother who used to attend a church, not anymore, but he said, I, I was praying about it, and I figured out what your problem is. And I said, what's my problem? So you're too wise. I said, what are, you, what are you talking about? He said, well, you study the Bible too, too much, and you're too wise, as if that makes me carnal, you know? And so I asked this guy, uh, am I as, do you think I'm as wise as the Apostle Paul? And he said, of course not. And I said, well, then Paul's got a bigger problem than me, and I walked away, okay? God, don't, don't pride yourself and say, man, I'm a, I'm a Christian, but I'm... I'm a, a real idiot. Now, God doesn't want Christian idiots, okay? If God wanted Christian idiots, he would have given us a business card, not 66 books, okay? Um, if you got an idiot behind a pulpit, you need to go to a new church. We've got to be wise. Now, by the way, the difference between knowledge and wisdom, knowledge is uh, learning and accumulating truth, okay? Wisdom is applying that truth. So it's one thing to know the truth, and it's a whole other thing to do it, okay? But here in verse 17, therefore do not be unwise. That's a command, okay? And, um, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And, and by, by the way, you know, some philosopher or scientist could come in here and use a lot of big words. That doesn't make him wise. Okay? Maybe you're one of those people who uses small words and you don't talk a whole lot. But you could be one of the wisest people in our county. Okay? So keep in mind, we've got to define wisdom the way God defines wisdom. So I'm going to look at just a few passages before we move on to verse 18. Um, look at Proverbs, Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. In fact, we'll take Proverbs 3, 5 to 7. And that says, trust in the Lord. Notice it doesn't say trust in the government. We're going through today what I would call deification of the state, where we're treating and trusting the government as if the government is God. Okay? We, we can't do that. Uh, the Bible tells us over and over again, submit to the governing authorities, but then it tells us even more times, do not trust in the king. Okay? So we've got to test all things, including government authorities with God's word. But our trust is in the wise man. His trust is in the Lord, not the government. Okay? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And what shall he do? He shall direct your paths. So you can understand what God's will is if you trust in the Lord with all your heart. Okay? And, um, and then verse 7, do not be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and depart from evil. So get away from this human faulty wisdom, <clears throat> okay? And by the way, non-believers were created in God's image. They were given minds by God, and every once in a while, non-believers accidentally trip over the truth. And you see advances in science and advances in different fields and our technology. Um, so it's not like, well, that guy's not a believer, so he has to be wrong. No, sometimes even non-believers get things right. 
But what it's our job to do, if we're going to be wise men and wise women, we're going to test everything with God's word. Okay? And um, so people can tell me, well, Bill Gates says this. You know, what did Archie Bunker used to say? Whoop-de-doo. Whoop-de-doo. Okay? You know, it used to be those commercials uh, where guys would give each other financial advice at a restaurant, and the guy says, well, my broker is E.F. Hutton, and E.F. Hutton says, and then everybody stops and listens. Was it E.F. Hutton or was it somebody else? And, uh, and when E.F. Hutton talks, everybody listens. Well, no, 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 that's not true. But when Jesus talks, we ought to listen. And, you know, we say, oh, Jesus, I just wish you would talk to me. Sometimes he does in a small, still voice. But most of the time when God talks to us, he talks to us in his word. Amen. I, I, get, I get people who profess to be Christians. They never study their Bible. And they just tell, they tell me, I just wish God would, would talk to me. It's just like, look, dude, he did, he's, he did a lot of talking to us. You got the word of God right here. Get grounded in that. Yeah, there'll be some questions you have that aren't mentioned in the Word of God and you've got to just pray about. And ask God to give you peace about which direction you should take. You show me a wise man today. I'm thinking a wise man. I'm not thinking of geniuses like Bill Gates. I'm thinking of elderly guy, elderly lady that is grounded in God's Word. And they don't make any decisions unless they're based on, on God's word. Trusting in God's wisdom, uh, not our own. And then God will make our path straight. It will become natural to walk in the supernatural. Uh, look at Psalm 1, the first three verses. So the first three verses of Psalms. That says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Okay? Nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Okay? So, we don't look to the wisdom of man. We test the so-called wisdom of man with the wisdom of God. So, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. That's God's word. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Now, by the way, the world's definition of prosperity and God's definition of prosperity are two different things. By the world's definition, John the Baptist, when they beheaded him, he died broke. World's definition of prosperity, John the Baptist was a poor man. God's definition of prosperity, he was an incre incredibly wealthy man. Okay? So we've got to determine, you know, God, by the way, God's called some of us to be fairly wealthy. And God's called some of us, you know, I mean, missionary, if, you, if you're called to be a missionary, God has not called you to be wealthy, okay? And, um, um, but whatever the case, we need to be content, be all that God calls us to be, and then be content where God uh, places us. But the blessed man, the blessed woman, their delight is in the law of the Lord, it's in the word of God. Is your delight in the word of God? Okay? We get a lot of kids grow up in Christian homes, then they go off to college, and they get some arrogant uh, philosophy professor slamming them and slamming Christianity in class and stuff like that. And some, some of our kids end up thinking that's what wisdom is. I need to agree with that guy. I'm not... I've graduated now, okay? Let me tell you, if this is the word of God, and it is, then anybody who rejects this 
is a fool. I don't care how many degrees the guy got, the guy has. I don't care uh, how smart he sounds, how many big words he uses. Don't let them intimidate you. Uh, wisdom. God is wisdom. He is the source of all wisdom. We are to be philosophers, lovers of wisdom. That's what philosophy means. But we understand wisdom, true wisdom, comes from God. Okay? And, uh, and then look at Romans 12, 2. Romans 12, verse 2. Paul says, and do not be conformed. Don't be outwardly conformed to the pattern of this world. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. That means be inwardly changed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what the Holy Spirit does as we pray and study God's word and fellowship with other Christians. The Holy Spirit renews our mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, if you want to find God's will, if you want to understand what God's will is, as it said in verse 17 of Ephesians 5, okay, then you got to stop conforming to the pattern of the world. You got to stop thinking the way the world thinks, and you got to start thinking the way God wants us to think. Okay? Allow the Holy Spirit to renew your mind. Okay? Now, this is a verse, I think it's Psalm 37, 4. King David says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And so some guys say, oh, I delight in the Lord. I'm going to claim a Corvette in Jesus' name. That's not what the passage is saying, okay? Because if you delight yourself in the Lord, what does that mean? That means that you make the Lord your greatest joy. Guess what God's going to do to your desires? He's going to change your desires. Guess what you're going to start desiring? You're going to start desiring for yourself what God desires for you. Okay? So delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And that's what prosperity, biblical prosperity is, being all that God calls you to be. So if you make the Lord your greatest joy, okay? And by the way, we know God's general will for all believers, Okay, the Bible just spells that out. When the Bible says don't do something, don't do it. When the Bible says do something, then do it. Okay, that's God's general will for all believers. And the only way we can obey God's general will for all believers from the heart is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so if a guy comes to me for counseling and he says, I want to know what God's specific will for my life is. Okay. But I know that the guy is living in sin. I'm not going to ask him, what do you desire? Because I don't even want to hear what he desires. Okay? He's going to be wasting my time. But if a guy or a gal is obeying God's general will through the power of the Holy Spirit, they're trusting in the Lord, okay? They're having their minds renewed and they don't know God's specific will, then I'll ask them, well, what do you desire? You know? For me, it was like, you, you know, I didn't grow up a Christian. I was raised in a Catholic home, but I didn't really believe. And in my teens, I started walking away from everything I had been taught. <clears throat> and uh, so when I got saved at age 21 in the Marine Corps, <clears throat> you know, I had grown up with issues. I did a lot of stuff I shouldn't have done. And, um, and so I assumed <clears throat> if God wants to call a guy to be a minister, he's going to grow up in a Christian home, go to Bible college, go to seminary, and there's going to be like a 27, 28-year-old guy starting a church who's just been, you know, Christian pretty much all his life. And I figured God would never use me. And that was Satan's little voice in my head. God can't use you. You're... You're trash from Jersey, man. You ain't you ain't, ain't got what God's looking for. And um, 
What I was doing when I was focusing on my past failures, I wasn't focusing on my, my present king. We do that a lot. You say, well, who am I? Why would God use me and this and that? You got to focus on your king. If King David focused on his problem, nine and a half foot tall Philistine blaspheming giant, he wouldn't have went down from the mountaintop and killed the giant on that day. But instead of focusing on his, his problem, he focused on the problem solver. He said, hey, my problem's bigger than me. My God's bigger than any problem I could ever face. Amen. Okay? You know, that's one of the things. You, you want to be a wise person, you've got to acknowledge God is bigger. And the world can throw at you, oh, this, this false idol and that false idol. It's my God's bigger than your God. And the world could tell you, well, Bill Gates has all the answers and this and that. And if we just move towards socialism, we'll have a and one world government. We'll have a we'll have a peace and unity. <clears throat> no, my God's bigger than your God. I don't know who your God is, but he's not good at thinking. OK. And. Um, but whatever the case, <clears throat> if we put God first <clears throat> and acknowledge uh, our king and, and stay in his word and make the Lord our greatest joy, then God will start to change our desires and we'll start desiring for ourselves uh, what he desires for us. That's, that's how we understand God's specific will. Okay? And with me, so I, I was convinced, you know, God hasn't called me to preach. And, you know, I had just done three years in the Marine Corps. I was in law enforcement and security at the time. Um, I had been a boxer back in New Jersey, but at that time I was weightlifting and um, my resume just showed how many things I could blow up. Um, and I just figured, you know, God created me to get saved and then wrestle with drunks for the rest of my life and cuff them. And, and I was like, OK, I'll, you know, I'll just try to be content with it. And I thought I was very, very evil. Because I, I hated my job. I did a good, good job. I was always getting awards for writing the most tickets and things of that sort. And employee of the quarter, employee of the year. And, um, um, but I didn't enjoy it. And I thought I was very sinful because I enrolled in Bible college. You know, Liberty University. They had a great program back then, distance program. And I used to fly out a couple weeks each year for the resident courses. And, uh, but uh, I thought I'm wasting my family's money going to Bible college because God didn't call me to preach. You know, he called me to use what I was trained in to, you know, arrest violent people. And, uh, but then I heard a lecture from H.L. Wilmington at Liberty University he told a story about uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great British preacher, where uh, Spurgeon got done preaching and a young guy walked up to him and Spurgeon has back turned to the guy and the guy said, uh, Pastor Spurgeon, I think God's called me to preach. How can I be sure? And um, uh, Spurgeon turned around Without blinking an eye, he told him, he said, son, um, if God's called you to preach, or no, if you, if you can be happy in any other job on earth, God hasn't called you to preach. And then it hit me. I was thinking I was a bad guy because I didn't like work. All I wanted to do was study the Bible and teach people all the time. And then all of a sudden I realized, no, look, God's in the business of making things beautiful. God could take trash from New Jersey. Okay? And he can transform uh, us and then use us in powerful ways. And it was at that moment that I got the call from God to preach. Now, it took me 10 years of studying before I went full-time in the ministry. Um, but that's when I knew. And then, by the way, then I was able to enjoy my job of law enforcement, knowing I wasn't going to be doing this for the rest of my life. 
This is just paying the bills, taking care of my family, paying my tuition. But God's called me to preach. You know, uh, let, me, let me tell you something, too. We might have some some future preachers in here or, or whatever. <clears throat> but God showed me once, you know, I was getting tired of law enforcement. Um, but, you know, I reached a point where I realized, I thought God told me, you know, look, I'm not a cop. I'm a preacher who just happens to pay his bills by doing law enforcement. Okay? But you gotta you gotta find you you want you wanna be so in love with the Lord that your heart is undivided towards what it is that God has called you to do. Okay? So if you're being obedient to the Lord and God's general will, I'm gonna ask you, well what is it that you desire? Because there's a good chance you're gonna start desiring what God desires for you. And so uh, don't be unwise. Understand what God's will is. Now, verse 18, <clears throat> Paul's going to give an example of living like a fool. Okay, verse 18 in Ephesians 5. And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So if we're going to walk in wisdom, we can't be getting drunk. Okay? Um, in fact, before I got saved, I was looking for meaning, and I didn't do a whole lot of drinking as a non-believer because uh, the churches and the police departments would open up gyms to get kids off the street Essex County, New Jersey, get him to box. And when you boxed, you didn't drink, you didn't smoke, because if you did, you're going to get whooped. You know, just, just training, you get whooped. And um, so uh, I didn't do much drinking, but in a Marine Corps, duty was so boring. I was guarding nuclear weapons and stuff, boring duty. And, um, and so I started looking for meaning, and one of the first things I did was I started drinking, and it got to the point where I was drunk and I was kneeling down in front of a toilet bowl. And I thought, I thought, man, I used to be somebody. Well, not really, but I thought I used to be somebody. And, um, and I used to be somebody. I had a reputation. Well, not really a good one, but... And here I am kneeling down in front of a toilet bowl. So even as a non-believer, I quit drinking right there. I knew for me, you know, drinking in New Jersey and stuff was just kind of get that liquid courage so you don't mind starting trouble and getting in fights or whatever it is. But I understood that, uh, look, the answer's not there. And then I went, uh, tried to start boxing again, boxing Marines who didn't know how to box. And I'd have to box some big guys because the little guys weren't that tough and it was, just, it was just, that was stupid, too. And eventually I started going back to Catholic Mass. Somebody invited me to a prayer meeting. And it was headed by, by my future wife's parents and um, Kathy's parents. And I ended up coming to Christ. Um, but me kneeling down in front of a toilet bowl, that's a fool. Me kneeling down before the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now there's a guy moving in the direction of wisdom. Okay? And um, I know when I led John Catlin to Christ, another Marine, and um, a long story there, but he used to get picked on by his drinking buddies. And they mocked him for not getting drunk with them anymore. And I used to tell them that there's no answers in the bottle. The answers are in this book, the 66 books of the Bible. And um, uh, But don't get drunk with wine, for this is dissipation, but instead be filled <clears throat> with the Spirit. So drunkenness is an example of being unwise. Now the pagans, the ancient pagans, would often engage in drunken orgies. 
They'd get drunk. They'd get sexually immoral. Um, a big debate about this within the church. My understanding of the scriptures is that drinking is not a sin. Getting drunk is. Okay, drinking is not a sin, but getting drunk is. Um, still, we should not allow our freedom in Christ to cause others to stumble. So look at uh, uh, Proverbs 20, verse 1. Now, I will say this. Jesus used to drink, but he didn't drink as much as I think most of us think. Jesus used to drink, but he didn't drink as much as most of us think. And I'll explain that in a minute. The Proverbs 20 and verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Okay? And um, now, Jesus used to drink wine at like the wedding feast of Canaan, Galilee. He would drink wine at the the Passover feast, okay, like the Lord's Supper. Um, but when you read the Jewish Talmud, the oral traditions of the Jewish rabbis of Jesus' day, and, and even before that, they started writing them down between 70 A.D. and 200 A.D., they explained that what the Jews called wine, I think it was like one part wine and three parts water. Okay. Now keep in mind, most of the water that you drank in Israel was not well water. It was water that were contained in man-made containers called cisterns, so it was polluted rainwater. And they tried to drain out the bugs, but it smelled, and it could kill you just drinking the water. So the alcohol of the wine, the citric acid, would kill some of the germs and give it a little bit of flavor. Okay? Um... So, uh, but, but basically, if you lived in Israel 2,000 years ago, you had to drink some wine because the water would kill you and you'd be almost impossible to get it down anyway. Uh, the Jews considered strong drink half wine, half water. And then if you drank straight wine, the Jews called you a barbarian. Okay? So when we think of Jesus as drinking in moderation, he, he drank in real moderation, okay? Um, now, granted, even back then, you can dilute the water significantly if, uh, if guys just keep, you know, wedding feasts for seven days long. You can keep drinking enough to where you can still get in a drunken brawl, okay? But the people who drank for the purpose of getting drunk, those were the pagans, okay? And uh, so the Bible does not forbid... Uh, drinking, if it's in moderation, and I would say this too, be careful. Um, you know, when I worked in law enforcement, often people would think they were drinking in moderation, just having a few drinks here or there, and didn't realize they were already legally drunk. Okay, so it doesn't take, and it's usually based on your body weight, but it doesn't take too much for the average person to get drunk. They might think they're a little buzz. They might might be legally drunk. But just keep in mind, let's say Peter drank a little bit too much, okay? Um, assuming he can afford a donkey, the worst that would happen is he fall off his donkey and everybody laughs at him, okay? Today, you or I get drunk, we can get behind 2,000 pounds of machinery, drive 60 miles an hour, go swerve into the wrong lane and wipe out an innocent family. Okay? So be very careful. I think you know, every once in a while the government gets it right. And when they say, if you're going to drink, don't drive. If you're going to drive, don't drink. That's some pretty good, pretty good advice there. Um, but uh, I want to look at a passage on Romans, Romans 14. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 14.
Paul's talking about that as believers in Christ, um, we have freedom in Christ. We have a lot more freedom in the New Testament in Christ than the Old Testament saints had. They had a lot of thou shalt nots. But in uh, Romans 14, uh, what he's talking about, the weaker brother doesn't understand his freedom in Christ, so the weaker brother thinks he can't drink wine. The weaker brother thinks it's a sin to drink wine. The weaker brother thinks it's a sin to eat certain foods. The stronger brother recognizes his freedom in Christ. He can drink wine, but don't get drunk. He can eat pork, okay? Um, but Paul says something very interesting to the stronger brother who recognizes his freedom in Christ in verses 20 and 21. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Okay? So if you got Catholic friends, and they're very serious Catholic friends, and it's a Friday, and um, they invite you over to their house, okay? Don't bring hamburgers with you. You know, it's... it's we used to get, back in Jersey, we used to get like $1.99 fish and chips because they knew the Roman Catholic population was so big, they made all the fish and chip deals on Fridays. And, um, or it was a good time for cheese pizza with no, no toppings and stuff like that. Now, is it really a sin to eat meat on Fridays? No. But the weaker brother doesn't know that. Okay? Now, I as a pastor, I've chosen just not to drink at all. I don't like the taste of alcohol. You know, uh, I'm not looking for fights, believe me. Um, um, and, uh, and I don't want to lead people astray. So, you know, if, um, if I'm witnessing to a guy at Red Robin and he's, got, he's drinking a beer while I'm witnessing to him, if you come in and you see that and you got a problem with that, that's your problem, okay? Because I'm not placing any stumbling block. But a guy's down on a beer, I, yeah, I'll witness to him, okay? Um, but, and you know, many pastors disagree with me on this, but if I just hold a beer in my hand, some people might think, well, that's given, he's saying it's okay for Christians to get drunk. You know? Um, I'm telling you, somebody told me at a, you know, we will go to a family barbecue. Hey, could you hold my beer? I'll say, sure, and I'll just put it on a table and guard the table, but I just don't want to hold it. I just don't want to lead people astray, okay? And it could be a person who's battled with alcoholism, okay? So keep in mind, there's two sides of this coin. You have freedom in Christ to do certain things like, like drinking in moderation, but try not to lead other people astray. Okay, and um, so we have, you know, I'm, I'm a man who believes in God's grace, and I'm not a legalist, and I understand, me and my wife understand our freedom in Christ, but we make some rules. I think that they're wise rules so that we don't exercise all the freedom in Christ we have, because if we do, it could lead us or someone else in the, in the wrong direction. So it's a gray area. This is between you and the Lord. And um, um, if you do drink, drink safely and try not to lead others um, astray. But the Bible clearly indicates it's getting drunk. Um, that is a sin. Okay. Drunkenness is dissipation. It is a wait. It is a wasteful way to live. Well, guess what? Uh, if you live uh, your life in a wasteful way. That's the exact opposite of redeeming the time, making the most of the time. Okay? Um, and so, uh, and then it destroys lives. Now, when God tells us don't do something, he usually tells us to do something else. Okay? Um, 
So instead of getting drunk, we're told in Ephesians 5 uh, and verse 18, but be filled with the Spirit. Now again, keep in mind, all believers are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Not all believers are filled with the Holy Spirit. The difference is not that you get more of the Holy Spirit. The difference is he gets more of you when you're filled with the Spirit. Okay? So, if you're driving in, a, in your car and the Holy Spirit's in the passenger side seat, that's like being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But if the Holy Spirit starts driving and you get in the passenger side seat, that's like being filled with the Spirit. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, that's the same as, as saying, be controlled by the Holy Spirit. So don't be controlled by alcohol. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Okay? And you might say, well, gee, I wish I knew how to be filled with the Spirit. Well, the Bible tells you. Just spend time in prayer. Spend time studying God's word. Spend time fellowshipping with Christians. Spend time serving people. Spend time worshiping God, and you'll be filled with the Spirit. Okay? And, um, but we need to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, not by alcohol or the demons who might come in. Anytime you surrender control of your mind, whether it's through New Age Hindu meditation, where you surrender the control of your mind, or using drugs... Uh, or getting drunk, if you surrender to the control of your mind, there are invisible, spiritual, evil entities that are looking for the opportunity to come in and take control. Okay? So I've been told that, you know, when a guy gets drunk, the real, the real you comes out. No. I have seen some of the nicest guys on the planet get drunk and just become total jerks. Okay, um, that's not the real you. That's another entity saying, okay, you surrender to control of your mind. I'm going to come in and take control. And uh, I've seen total personality changes by people who are drunk or under the influence um, of drugs. And um, uh, so don't get drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, not alcohol or drugs. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit, not alcohol or the demons who want to come in and take control. Allow the Holy Spirit to bear his fruit in our lives. Remember earlier, verse 9, Paul talked about, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. You get drunk, there's not going to be any goodness, righteousness, and truth. You get filled with the Holy Spirit, there's going to be goodness righteousness, and truth. Okay? So allow the Holy Spirit to bear His fruit um, in our lives. And then Ephesians 5, 19 to 21, the results of being filled with the Spirit. Look at verse 19. Speaking, I got to admit, even as a pastor, there's a few verses that that kind of creep you out. And verse 19 creeps me out. So instead of getting drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit, we're supposed to be, verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms. Those are songs accompanied by stringed instruments. And hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Okay? Now, I love singing praise songs. Okay? And when I'm alone, sometimes I sing praise songs at the top of my lungs. But you're probably not going to catch me walking in the mall singing praise songs as I walk by. You probably wouldn't want to hear that, by the way. But, um, but I don't know. This passage kind of creeps me out and might make me look like a weirdo. Maybe, maybe we need to look like weirdos a little more often here. Maybe we ought to have so much of the joy of the Lord that we can't help it. You know, you're hammering nails and, and you're singing, how great that heart, you know. And, um, you know, we need to be praying without ceasing. 
We need to be singing praise songs, uh, not just to ourselves, but even even to one another. And uh, and so what you get is the joy of the Lord. If you're filled with the Spirit, you get the joy of the Lord where you're constantly singing praises to God. Even singing to one another from the heart. Verse 20, not only will we have the joy of the Lord and singing praise songs all the time. Verse 20, by the way, and you might think, well, Pastor Phil, I don't want to look like a weirdo. Yeah, there are certain things that God doesn't want us to have confusion in our service so the non-believer walks in and thinks we're all crazy. So I'm with you. God doesn't want us to look weird just for the sake of looking weird. That pushes people away. At the same time, the world is so committed to lies. Look how weird they're willing to look and act for the pagan gods. Okay? I mean, there's people with, you know, it might be body piercings, it might be dyeing their hair a certain color or whatever. But the world is willing to be a fool for paganism. How come we're not, being, we're not willing to be a fool for Jesus? I remember one day I was driving home. I live on Illahee Road. And I was driving on Brownsville Highway. And the pouring rain, there's all these cars illegally parked everywhere, all the way to my home. And uh, I live quite a few miles away from the fairgrounds. I didn't know it was the Lollapalooza or something. To get parking, it's like a 72-hour outdoor concert in the pouring rain. And people were willing to park miles away to go there. And you can't tell me. By the way, where there is music, there is worship. God created all things to glorify him. So if the music isn't praising God, it's praising non-God. And, um, and so what I'm saying is the pagans are often more serious about their false religion than we are about true religion. Okay? And um, when's the last time you parked four miles away from your church and walked in the pouring rain to get to church? And, and by the way, that does happen. Just not in America. You know? Now, we praise God, we've got some people in this church that come a long way. You know, Edmonds, Seattle. Um, but uh, that's not the norm. Um, but in some countries, like Ethiopia, Christians will walk miles in the pouring rain just to show up for a church service, and they don't even have a roof on their church building anyway. Okay? And um, so maybe we ought to be Maybe we ought to have enough of the joy of the Lord to make the world take notice. Okay? And if that makes it, you know, if they say, oh, Fernandez, you're a Jesus freak, you know, I'm just going to say thank you. Thank you, because I've been convicted lately, because when I first got saved, I was a Jesus freak. I got on everybody's nerves, even fellow believers. And, uh, but, you know... Maybe we all need to be Jesus freaks instead of being trying to be dignified in the eyes of the world. So results of being filled with the Holy Spirit, the joy of the Lord, and then always giving thanks in verse 20. Give, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What that means, all things basically means all circumstances. Uh, I did a study of the word in the Greek there, and it, it, it means all circumstances. Uh, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And in other words, I can be content. It's the context of the passage. I can be content in all situations because Christ is my strength. And um, so we need to be thankful in all things. That doesn't mean when I'm at my dad's funeral, the greatest man I ever knew was my dad, 2009. When I'm at his funeral, okay, I need to give thanks, not for his death, but I need to give thanks that God's in control of all things and he's going to work it for good. That's when you walk by faith, not by sight. We need to give, we're supposed to be giving thanks 
for the political situation right now. As the freedoms that our dads and grandfathers fought for were given it away. And yet we need to give thanks. You know, God's going to bring good out of it. One of the goods that God's going to bring out, we are going to mature so much as Christians when we don't know where, where our next meal's coming from. When you could be beaten or imprisoned for preaching Jesus. Uh, but always give thanks for all things in all circumstances. Give thanks to God the Father in Jesus' name. Let me tell you, you don't even have the right to approach God except through Jesus. Okay? We enter into the presence of God um, even in prayer in Jesus' name, in the authority of the Lord Jesus. He is the Son of God by nature because of who he is. Because he's God the Son, when he became a man, he is the Son of God by nature. We are sons and daughters of God by adoption. Jesus earned the right for us to be called children of God. And so we give thanks to God the Father in Jesus' name. And then we submit to one another. Verse 21 of Ephesians 5. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now, in verse 21, submitting to one another, it's the same word, but it's being used differently than verse 22. Verse 22, we're going to see next week, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Okay? And that's going to be dealing with the, the household. Another very convicting area, even for maturing, growing Christians. Uh, but submitting here, submitting to one another, all that means is submit your own needs to the needs of others. Put others' needs before your own. Okay? Don't go out there and try to be number one. You've got to love God with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself. So submitting to one another, putting others' needs before your own. The, the secret to joy, that acronym, Jesus first, put others second, and yourself third. If you don't have the joy of the Lord, that's what you need to start doing. Put Jesus first, others second, and yourself third. Now, why do we do that? We do that, uh, as Paul says, in the fear of God, not man. Um, it's not because it's like, well, I'm going to treat my boss good because I don't want to get fired. No, I'm going to treat my boss good because he was a human being created in God's image. And no fallen, I love him and I want to see him saved. Okay? Um, but, you know, there is a God and you're not him. That's why Proverbs tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning uh, of knowledge. Uh, we're going to just close with a couple verses here. Look at uh, uh, Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. So we don't fear man. We do this out of fear uh, of God. Romans 8.31 Romans 8.31, Paul says this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Um, basically, we have nothing to fear from, from mankind. And then we'll close with Matthew 10, verse 28. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10, verse 28. Jesus said this, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. I'm telling you, we are reaching a time in the history of the United States of America and the history of the world where it is going to be very easy to fear the world. 
Because those who have the power to kill you, if you preach Jesus, they're going to want to do it. Okay? Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. There is a God, you're not him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so as we place others' needs before our own, as we submit to each other, we do that not because, you know, it's like, I shouldn't be, uh, I shouldn't be kind to my former student, Caleb, because I think, man, at this point in my life, I think he can whoop me. So I better be, I shouldn't be kind to him out of fear of him. I should be kind to him out of fear of the Lord. This is God. I don't know if you've noticed this. This is God's universe. It's not yours. You know, Bill Gates were here right now. I tell him, I said, Bill, it's God's universe. It's not yours. Okay? Joe Biden. I tell him the same. That's right. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. Donald Trump. I kind of like Trump, but Donald Trump, I tell him. It's not your universe. It belongs to God. And someday, my king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, he is going to come back and he is going to take what is rightfully his. And so, if I'm going to fear anybody, it's going to be the lamb who was slain because the lamb who was slain is also the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he will roar. The leaders of the world, they laugh, they mock. But the lion will roar. And he will come back. And he will make things right. So out of fear of the Lord, we turn to him. And then that eventually perfect love cast out all fear. That relationship with the Lord becomes more a relationship of love and trust. But he is God, you're not. He is God, I'm not. We need to get with his program. And we need to walk in wisdom. And to do his will for the power of the Holy Spirit and for his glory. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we just love you, Lord, and... Uh, um, I just pray, Lord, that uh, you would just help us to not just walk in the light, but to also walk in wisdom, in your wisdom. May we trust and fear you, not trust and fear the godless leaders of this world. And Lord, as the, the, the future looks pretty bleak, you can change that if you want, but if you don't, um, things could get very difficult for Christians in America like they are for Christians throughout the world. Help us, Lord, to walk in love, to walk in light, and to walk in wisdom. Help us to, to submit to one another out of that godly fear. Help us to acknowledge that you alone are God, and that no matter, no matter what man can do to us, they can take everything we have, Lord, can be taken from us, Except one thing, your son cannot be taken from us. And um, we praise you. You promise to take care of all our needs, Lord. But in the end, all we need is Jesus. And so empower us to be filled with your spirit, to walk in wisdom, to walk in light, to walk in love, to put your kingdom first, to live for your son, the Lord Jesus, and to live to do all things to bring you glory. And Lord, we, we, we long for the day when you return and make things right because things are looking ugly in this world. So we say with the ancient church, come Lord Jesus, come. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. All right, God bless you everybody. If you want to get a little fellowship downstairs, that would be great. God bless you all.